the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, American Hugh Hewitt. On this Monday morning, I'm joined on the interview with Hugh Hewitt by Brad Thor. How are you, Brad? I'm good, Hugh. Nice to be with you. David Brown, who you note is a stupendous publicist, I didn't know how good until he timed the dropping of black ice to coincide with a front page story in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal on Microsoft being hacked by the Ministry of State Security. How did you guys work that out? Because actually, there can be no better publicity. What do you think? Well, I, I think the Chinese are very, very dangerous, and it's something we need to be paying close attention to. We have a lot of threats in the world, but the Chinese are, are, are right up there. And I said this, you know, I appreciate trying to develop good relationships with, with other countries, but we can never forget who we're dealing with. You know, it's the whole uh, frog and the scorpion thing. Yeah, I, th- this front page story accuses by name the Ministry of State Security of being behind this this hack of of Microsoft. I don't think many Americans know what the Ministry of State Security is. And one of the reasons I am so happy that Black Ice came out, and it drops tomorrow, people can order it today, get it tomorrow, is you actually focus on the Ministry of State Security and the second department. Would you explain for people, they might know the KGB, they might know the GRU, they might know the FSB and the, and the Russian uh, 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 inheritors of the KGB legacy, but they don't know anything about the PRC's organs of spying. Yeah, that's true. It, the, the the Chinese put a lot of numbers on things. So camps, uh, so re-education camps or concentration camps will have numbers and things like that. Um, so the Ministry of State Security, it, it's tough you know, I'm always careful when I draw parallels. It, you know, there's the KGB and you've got or there was the KGB. You've got the FSB. You've got the GRU, which is Russian military intelligence. Uh, the Ministry of State Security is the is the intelligence apparatus in China that is the one that I'm most concerned about because it's kind of the the main head of the many headed Hydra. So there's you, they have a hacking unit that's that is very, very sophisticated. And that goes by a, a number thing. It's really tough to org chart it all out. But the, uh, the Ministry of State Security is the one that, that we're paying the most attention to. And I think Americans need to be switched on to because they're really, listen, China is a malevolent, bad actor. Uh, when you have a nation where individual liberty is not secure, you have no innovation. And if you have no innovation, you can't move your society forward in any meaningful way, whether it's through technology advancements, medical advancements. So the only thing China is left with under this oppressive regime is to steal its espionage. That's the only way China can move its military forward, uh, its industry forward. It has to steal, steal, steal. And it steals in many ways, whether it's this hack of Microsoft, whether it's demanding that uh, American companies that do business in China turn over their technology to the Chinese, uh, whether it's it's uh, straight up full on espionage by putting in uh, 
students here or former military people posing as scientists to do uh, projects here in the United States. Uh, China is a real adversary and one that we ignore at our peril. Now, Brad Thornton in Black Ice, you are doing a lot to educate the American people, not just about the CCP's intelligence apparatus, but about their military. For example, I did not know. I, I tweeted out. I learned five things in the first 70 pages of uh, of Black Ice. One of the things I learned, number one, is that there's such a thing as sea dragons. Number two, there's such a thing as snow leopards. And number three, there's such a thing as mountain eagles. And so I looked them all up. By the way, I read with Google. I read Black Ice with Google because I'm always checking up on you to see if you're making stuff up or you're just reporting little known stuff. They're all true. They're all real. Yeah. So those are those are all special operations units. Those are the terms that have been given to multiple special operations units that the Chinese have. So the Chinese, uh, they have a very, in some respects, a very sophisticated military in that they're specializing in areas the way we have, uh, whether it's our Green Berets that specialize in particular parts of the world. Um Listen, China is a China is in is a state that I think we've paid not enough attention to. I think, if anything, the COVID crisis has shown us that we are overly reliant on the just-in-time supply chain. I think a lot of people were freaked out to learn how much of our PPE comes from China, how much of our medication, uh, how many medications come from China, all this stuff. So their sophistication and in their attempt to project power, whether it's through diplomacy or whether it's through economics, particularly their Belt and Road Initiative, where they're trying to buy their way into spheres of influence around the world, is something that's really troubling. And we are just starting to wake up to here. I think as tough as the Trump administration was with the trade sanctions and things like that, and as expensive as it was for us, in all fairness, we, we, we paid out more to American farmers during that trade war. It's double what we did with the auto bailout under Obama. So the American taxpayers once again bore the brunt of, uh, of the situation. But the, the idea of China as a near peer adversary is something, a near peer power is something we need to be paying very close attention to. So I write fiction. I mean, you and I have gotten off on this great foot here about China and all the realities in the book. But what I write, I write spy thrillers and I try to set them against real world events because I believe politics are downstream of culture. I've got a lot of people coast to coast and around the world that read the books. And even more importantly for me, I've got people inside the Beltway in D.C., politicians who read my thrillers. And so I'm hoping that this draws attention to this because I know our, our mutual friend, Robert O'Brien, as the National Security security advisor was really, really serious about this. And so was Mike, Mike Pompeo, who in a moment of tremendous candor admitted that we were behind the curve, particularly when it came to China and their ambitions in the Arctic. I called Robert this weekend. I talked to him pretty much every other day or so. And I called Robert this weekend. I read to him. He already had the manuscript, so he, I wasn't reading anything to him. I said, I see you spent a lot of time with uh, with Brad Thor, because not only you acknowledge, but basically your your primer on icebreakers is uh, if anyone mentions icebreakers around Robert O'Brien, you're in for a 20 minute lecture. And honestly, you're going to find out uh, how many exist, who's got them, why we have one that doesn't work. any. I mean, you just basically took stenography from O'Brien, made it readable and interesting and put it into the black ice. It's really fascinating. I gather O'Brien proselytized you. 
Well, he did. He pointed out. So I'm a, I'm a data guy. I love facts. I love data. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Russia has 40 icebreakers in yep. total. Uh, they've got 300 construction right now and a plan for a dozen more over the next decade. And uh, they're getting it. In, uh, they've got nuclear powered icebreakers and that's a road they're going down. And they may even put missiles on the icebreakers. That's on their Corvettes. They're working on this kind of Corvette icebreaker hybrid that's going to have weapons, which is very scary. Chinese have two icebreakers. We used to have two, and then one of them caught fire and is basically no good. And in fact, the uh, the Biden administration wanted to do what's called a freedom of navigation operation over the northern sea route above Russia. And the Navy had to tell the Biden administration, can't do it. This ship that we've got, the one we've got, is going to break down halfway through. And then so much for the show of force to the Russians, we're going to have to get them to tow us out of there. So this, what I found fascinating, and Robert did share with me, that once they got serious about the Arctic, and the Chinese are really making a play up there, uh, China declared itself a near-Arctic state, which cracked Mike Pompeo up. He actually laughed out loud when he was uh, when he heard that term. It means nothing. It's the Seinfeld of, uh, of terms. It means absolutely nothing. The nearest settlement in China is 800 plus miles away from the Arctic Circle. So China wants into the Arctic Circle because the ice is melting so fast up there. There are great deposits of minerals, natural gas and uh, and oil up there. And there's also the sea ice is turning to slush for longer and longer periods each year. So if the Chinese can get in bed with the Russians and get the Russians to give them permission to use the northern sea route over Russia, it would allow the Chinese to move their nation off the east coast of the United States without having to go through the Straits of Malacca, where they could uh, be interdicted by United State, the United States Navy. And it also, one of the things I found that was fascinating is it's such a money saver for China. Shanghai to Rotterdam normally takes 48 days the way they go now. But if they go up over Russia through the Northern Sea Route, it shaves 20 days off the route. So China's got a lot of reasons to want to be up there. They've tried to buy a Canadian Arctic gold mine operation. The Canadians told them to pound sand. Uh, they tried to buy land in Norway through a, a Chinese businessman. They're always using cutouts, the Chinese. You know, they're always trying to hide the government's uh, participation. But anything that comes out of China is basically the CCP. So China really, for strategic reasons, wants to be a power player in the Arctic. We are catching up. Uh, I thought it was brilliant that Robert O'Brien uh, said, listen, we can't build icebreakers fast enough. Let's lease a couple of them. Let's throw some uh, orange, uh, blaze orange uh, U.S. Coast Guard paint on there, put a skiff on a couple of these things and a bunch of 50 cal machine guns, and let's get them into service while we wait for the rest of them. The the polar, uh, polar security cutter uh, program, I think we've got six on order, but we're not going to see one get fielded till 2024. So this is... A, the, for a spy, a fiction writer, this is fun, fertile stuff to play a spy. Oh, and O'Brien tells me, not just him, but you know everyone in town. You know everyone at the agencies. You talk to everyone. It shows up. But I do always check. I'm always wondering, Brad, is he going to sneak? This is, by the way, a hell of a thriller. People are going to turn every page. I read it in two days. I stayed up too late on uh, Saturday night because uh, I was I was reading it. I, I, you know, I just didn't want to stop. That's the best endorsement I can give. But I checked everything, and I, you know, I thought, for example, I thought you were making up Pappy Van Winkle. That's such a terrible name. I thought Brad's fallen down on the job. Pappy Van Winkle Bourbon? No way. And in fact, Pappy Van Winkle exists. 
Not only does it exist, it's one of the most expensive and one of the best bourbons in the world. And in fact, if you're interested, if your listeners, you are interested, Trish and I last night on Netflix watched this fabulous new documentary series uh, that almost looks like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels or Snatch. It looks like Guy Ritchie did this called Heist. And it's about a series of great American crimes. And they're doing it after several of the people have gotten out of prison. So it's kind of funny. You can actually see the criminals talk about the heist. And the one we watched last night, each of these are two-parters called Heist. The one we watched last night is called The Bourbon King. And it's about basically a million dollars worth of Pappy Van Winkle that walked out of the warehouse and how uh, all of these investigators got involved. It's a fascinating story. Uh, The current Van Winkle, Preston Van Winkle, is a great guy. He's a fan of my thrillers. Uh, And Ah. – I've gotten a chat with Preston, uh, but he reached out to me last year because I had Pappy in last year's book because I'm a big fan of it. And he said, Brad, I just want you to know I'm a big, huge fan. And I was he said, if you ever come up to Kentucky, come by and, and let's uh, let's have some bourbon together. Neat guy. Now, now Brad, uh, you finally have shown up on my my stream. They got the stream going. Here's the book. You've changed the back photo. Am I wrong that this is the first use of a new photo on the back photo of a Brad Thor novel? <laughs> that one for about four years now. Oh, that one's well. actually out of date. You usually have the white collar thing. Okay, back to the book. Great book. I want to ask you about another fact check. Do plastic spoons actually burn for 10 minutes? And where did you learn that if it is true? Yep. So they do. And I actually, uh, a good buddy of mine in the Navy SEAL community, put me together with someone who teaches. He's a he's an ex-Navy SEAL. He works for a big outdoor clothing company now, but he still teaches at the cold weather school in Alaska. Oh, wow. And so he he's told me, here's what you would do. Here are materials. If you're ever in a plane crash, these are the things you'd want to gather up. You'd want to strip insulation and shove it inside your clothing to to keep warm. And these. So I like to put those real uh, real world things in the book. It's kind of fun. Well, I thought the the cold weather survival stuff is I'm not going to give away too much of the book. There is a cold weather survival part. By the way, you don't ever want to meet a polar bear. Am I right about that? You don't want to meet a polar bear. Do not want to meet a polar bear. Never. Do the do the far Arctic towns really leave their doors unlocked in the event a polar bear shows up? Yep. So that's actually a rule. It is it is the law. You have to do that so that if anybody needs to escape a polar bear attack, they don't hit a locked door if your hut or your house is the closest thing they can get to. That is remarkable. I mean, that's the kind of detail people love about Brad Thor novels. Now I want to go back to uh, a character, Spencer Baldwin. By the way, this this Adam character is very sketchy at the State Department, but I want to talk about Spencer Baldwin. First of all, did you borrow Spencer Baldwin's name from someone? He's a bad guy. No, I, uh, you know what? I, I pay attention to a lot of stuff that's going on in the news, uh, and I am concerned about we have had a spate of people doing lobbying for foreign governments uh, who are not registered to do it. And that bothers me as an American. If you want to lobby for a foreign nation, that's okay. But you follow the rules and you register as an agent of that government. The fact that people are taking money and it's gotten looser where people now are really kind of gunslinging, thinking, oh, I know some politicians in D.C. I could do this. And it's really getting out of control. So that that character was kind of a 
amalgamation of several people uh, that I've been reading about that I, I, I'm really pissed off by. Yeah, the, the Foreign me. Agents Registration Act exists for a reason. My friend Hauser and I talk about this all the time. If it's ever enforced, all right, if it's – now, I talk to a lot of foreign governments all the time. It's my job. Uh, but uh, I don't represent any of them. And if I did, I would get my fire registration done before I took a dime because it's a it's a criminal statute and it's violated routinely in the United States. I thought the Mueller investigation, it did lead, lead to the Manafort indictment under FARA. I thought it would have a lot more FARA indictments than actually came about. Uh, so your dirty fixers there. Could we have done without Tom Brady? Are you a Patriots fan? Tom Brady shows up in here and I'm really upset that Tom Brady is in black ice. What's the deal? It's listen, it's a cultural touchstone, a guy that's uh, is at that age and can still single handedly take a team right to the Super Bowl. It was a good comparison for for my protagonist. All right. Now, I uh, was you and I at, at Guy Benson's wedding. We talked about the need for China to show up in thrillers. You have done so in the last two or three. Do you see anybody? I think the the barrier to entry here is simple baseline knowledge about China. I think it's a very difficult to understand country. We all grew up on Cold War stuff, but it was Soviet stuff, not China stuff. And we don't know the language very well. Very few people know it. Do you see thrillers moving there? Because thrillers are a great public service, in my view, if they educate people as to either an enemy or an ally or both. I, I agree with you. And I think you hit on all of the challenges, which is, you know, it's it's tough to take a Caucasian guy and drop him into, you know, a small Chinese village and not have him stick out like a sore thumb. It's different than when we were, you know, sneaking behind the Iron Curtain and trying to do things uh, during the Cold War. So there's a certain set of challenges presented in real life by by China being a threat to the United States. I think I think you're starting to see thrillers. I, I've seen a couple out there, people that are doing them and everything with China. I think it's really important. Uh, Senator Kirk from Illinois uh, a couple of years ago, I had, uh, I've known him forever since I grew up up in Chicago and everything. And we'd had breakfast in DC a couple of years ago. And he was talking about supercomputing and how important it was that we beat the Chinese and that we not let the Chinese get ahead of us with artificial intelligence and all this kind of stuff. But I was really impressed with how focused on China he was, even though he was out of office. Um, so I think, I really do believe politics is downstream of culture. So it, it is Listen, I, I want to give you a great, entertaining, white-knuckle thrill ride. That's that's my job as an entertainer. If you close a Brad Thor novel, knowing a little bit more about the geopolitical landscape, uh, certain national security issues, if you just get that through an enjoyable thriller with short, crisp, cinematic chapters, then I've done my job as an American. And I, I think I can I think I can do both. And I, I that's that's been my goal is to give people not just a thrill ride, but a little bit of a insight into what's happening in the world and make it evergreen so that the books still stand years later. Oh, and by the way, this will. I want to go through two examples of where entertainment and education overlap completely. One of the backstories to your story is the 2010-2012 roll-up, as they call it, of 19 CIA assets in China. Uh, and I knew about it. Not many people know about it. You add a little bit more detail to my knowledge of it, which is we still don't have an explanation, to which I think to myself, we don't have a public explanation. Would you tell people why that's in the book and what it's about. 
Well, so I'm trying to explain, I'm trying to paint a picture, if you will, of the Ministry of State Security uh, in China. So they're big intelligence apparatus. I, I, I'm loath to compare it directly to the CIA because it's, it's, there's so many things not. going on over in China and it's, it's, it's a little bit different. So it's not necessarily a, a, a straight line parallel. Uh, but this intelligence apparatus, let me back up. The, the, the CIA assets, we lost very quickly back uh, a decade ago uh, a, a ton of assets that the CIA had developed in China. Uh, they were either assassinated or put in jail. And we, to this day, at least publicly, it's never been explained why we lost so many so quickly. And the, the, the information that you can find or that people who have worked at the CIA who have been uh, in this department will tell you is, you know, we still don't know if they had hacked our encrypted communications or what it was. But I thought it was a fascinating piece of background to put in here, Hugh, so that so that people would realize the depth of uh, – of planning, of strategy and competence that the Chinese do have. I mean, they're not bumblers. The Russians, by and large, are bumblers. The Chinese are much more sophisticated. We still catch them, but they're congenitally deviant. I mean, they really are uh, tough foes. Page 67. I wanted to check the page and I just picked back up. The Russians, like the Chinese, were devious. Not as smart, but devious nonetheless. I believe that is accurate. I believe that is the prevalent view. 